0: But our uh, scripture this morning is from Genesis, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 32. It's a long passage, so uh, be prepared to pay attention and hang in there. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mananaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, If Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. Two hundred female goats, twenty male goats, two hundred ewes, twenty rams, thirty milking camels and their calves, forty cows and ten bulls, And took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is in the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. He put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, "'The children whom God has graciously given your servant.' Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah, likewise, and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, "'What do you mean by all this company that I met?' Jacob answered, "'To find favor in the sight of my Lord.' But Esau said, "'I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself.' Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. This is the word of God.
1: Thank you, Judy. As I said with a different passage, very long passage that we read out of Genesis, it's one of the longest passages. It will not be one of the longest sermons, I promise. If you're visiting with us, we have been following one man, Abraham, his family, and ultimately his descendants uh, through their story as a people. Uh, because in one man... And his family and his descendants, God, first pronounced and would preserve through them his plan and grace for salvation, for saving all of humanity. And if you've been following along with us for the last several weeks, you know it's been 20 years since Jacob last saw his brother Esau. They're twins. And they parted on terrible terms. Jacob had fled for his life because Esau had vowed to kill him. Jacob was a shrewd guy, and he had stolen from Esau what was rightfully Esau's. Ironically, Jacob flees to his uncle Laban. Laban plays the type of tr- uh, the kind of tricks on Jacob that Jacob had been playing on his brother Esau. Uh, Laban was shrewd and manipulative, also. Jacob, however, was still able to outwit. Laban, And through a lot of toil and frustration, uh, Jacob acquired wives and children and livestock, flocks, herds, a tremendous amount of wealth. As you can see, the gift that he gives his brother is enormous. It was just a portion of what he had accumulated over his years uh, in exile. So after two decades, God commands Jacob to return home to go back to Canaan. But Jacob, Jacob apparently, in his conscience, cannot go home without facing his brother Esau. Jacob and his entire caravan, they go out of their way uh, in order to confront Esau. He just felt like he had to see his brother and face the facts and face the past. So, so the tension is Great. And, and you see Jacob, who had outwitted people and outnegotiated people his entire life, now he can't, lean, he can't play to his strengths. Because he, he, his eyes are blind. He, he can't see what's happening, but what he knows is that his brother Esau is coming at him with 400 men. You should translate that, fighting men. Uh, so he's scared beyond his wits. He can't play to his strengths. He's mortally distressed for his family. I think some of us have faced great moments in our lives, would you say, great moments uh, where the tension was overwhelming. Or you can't sleep, or you can't eat, or you, you, you worry yourself into physical trauma. You're so worried, it's such a big deal uh, that you physically made yourself sick, thinking about it, worrying about it. Maybe you have faced people from your past. Uh, Maybe you have had to deal with an old fear that's come back in a tenacious way. Maybe you've had to deal with a challenge that was outside of your perspective and outside of your experience and you just didn't know how to handle it. I have a question. How do you know that you have endured some of life's most challenging circumstances successfully? How do you know when you come out of a situation? Something like what Jacob's going through right now. How do you know when you come out of a situation that you've endured it successfully? Whether you discover it right away or 10 years later or 20 years later. How do you know that you've endured life's most challenging circumstances successfully? We've heard many things in the culture in which we live. The Bible's answer to that question has to do with humility. And the idea for today that I hope you will see from Jacob's story is that God blesses the people he humbles. Humility is not a favorite word in our culture, or in most cultures, but God blesses the people that he humbles. In this struggle we read about, we see that Jacob does something that's unusual for him. He prays. Finally, he's praying. And actually, it's the longest prayer recorded in all of Genesis. Now, normally, Jacob has responded to danger and to trauma and to opportunity with shrewdness and assertiveness. That's how he's managed. That's how he's coped. That's how he's gotten ahead in life, being a shrewd, assertive person. Now, his response is completely different. It's humble prayer. Not shrewd assertiveness, humble prayer. And he says in the middle of that prayer, in chapter 32, verses 9 and 10, he says to God, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the fruitfulness that you have shown to your servant. He said, you know, when I left my home, when I fled from my life, I had nothing but a staff in my hand. And now I'm returning home with abundant wealth. I'm alive. I have, I have all these children. This is all by your steadfast love and your faithfulness to me. So here you see a change in him you see that he's not grasping for for success, but he's praying for deliverance. And so God answers Jacob's prayer. You ever get an answer that you didn't anticipate or that you didn't welcome when it was upon you? Because Jacob's answer was not something he would have anticipated. God's answer to Jacob's prayer was a wrestling match. Because we're told after Jacob... uh, makes sure that his family, that his wives and children are okay, he spends the night alone. He's all by himself in the dark, and out of nowhere, we're told, he starts wrestling with a man. And as you read on, it's very clear that the man is none other than a human manifestation of God Almighty. He's alone, he wrestles with this God-man that night, and, and God just finally... Because the day is approaching and scholars believe that's important because no one can see the face of God and live. And so this man is shrouded in darkness and wrestling with Jacob all night. And and finally, before the break of day, uh, the God-man just kind of takes care of things and he injures Jacob in the hip socket. One scholar says probably a dislocated hip. Another scholar says it could even be an aggravated sciatic nerve, which is why the very next day we are told by the narrator, he's limping. So with one effortless stroke, God ends it and incapacitates him. Jacob's no longer in a position to manipulate and to struggle. He is desperately hanging on to the man for support. And he pleads with the man and he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Don't read that as a Jacob demanding something from a position of strength. He is desperately pleading with the man, I will not let you go until you bless me. And then in verse 27, God responds to him and says, What is your name? It's not because God didn't know. Jacob needed to pronounce and utter his own name. Remember, that the, the name Jacob means to grasp after something. To usurp somebody else, right? So at this moment, the name Jacob uttered by Jacob is a confession. He had been grasping, reaching for things that didn't belong to him, striving, using his wits his entire life. But Jacob's life could no longer be characterized by his own efforts. His life would have to be characterized by by God's efforts. So Jacob is grasping all of his life, striving, 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 maintaining his life by his own wits. God asks him a simple question and that one question exposes Jacob's soul and the motivations of his heart because when he spoke his name to God, it was a confession that he had lived his life by his own wits, by mustering up his own strength grasping for everything but that would not be the new man because God then renames him in verse verse 28 of chapter 32 God says your name is Jacob but your new name is going to be Israel because Israel means God strives Jacob means he grasps he strives Israel means God strives his life is no longer to be characterized by his efforts but by God's own efforts And this would become not only his story, this would become the story of his descendants and everyone to this day who worships Jacob's God and lives by faith. When you follow the God of the Bible, when you trust the God of Bible, your life is no longer characterized by your own striving, but by God's striving for you. The climax of this account is not the reconciliation of two brothers. As wonderful as that is, because that's what you're hoping will happen as you read through uh, the account for several chapters. As wonderful as that is, it's not the main story. Right? The climax is the wrestling match. It all comes down to the wrestling match. Jacob's real struggle wasn't with Esau. It wasn't with Laban. It wasn't with Leah. It wasn't with Rachel. Jacob's real struggle was with God. And that's the subtext. That's what the narrator is trying to is trying to bring across as you read through the account in Genesis of Esau and Jacob's lives the subtext is that Jacob was fighting with God have you considered that your real struggle is with God whatever you're thinking about whatever you've been through lately whatever you're worried about whatever or whomever is looming in, in your near future Have you ever considered that your real struggle is with God? Maybe like Esau, you're discontent. You just can't calm down because you're just going from one thing to the next. Never satisfied. Maybe you're like Sarah. We've looked at her. Maybe you're like Sarah and you're bitter because of what's happened in your life. Maybe like Abraham, you're scared. You respond in fear to the challenges you face. Maybe like Esau and Jacob, the twins, maybe you're just in conflict with people. Maybe like Hagar, remember Hagar? Maybe you're oppressed or you have been oppressed. But we cannot mature. And the Christian word for maturity is sanctification. We cannot be sanctified until we struggle with God and overcome. We're not going to grow. We're not going to mature until we struggle and face up to God in what we're struggling with and overcome. But here's what's ironic about struggling with God. Overcoming with God doesn't mean overpowering him. Overcoming with God means submitting to him. It means leaning on him because you can't move anymore. And in desperation, you cling to him and say, I'm not going to stop clinging to you until you bless me. If you're trying to win, here's the irony, if you're trying to win, you'll lose. But if you're willing to lose, if if you're willing to admit that you've already lost, because isn't that what Jacob essentially says in his prayer, I'm unworthy of all the kindness you've given to me, and I'm afraid of my brother. He just comes out and says it, I'm afraid of my brother. If you're willing to admit you've already lost, you win. That's the irony in the Bible. You'll only successfully endure a conflict or, or a serious loss or a threat. you only endure that stuff when you face God about it. And typically, because you and I are unwilling to do that, God has to pursue us. And in the best sense of the term, God will pick a fight with you to get you to Stop. And recognize him, and look him in the face, and square up with him, and finally ask him to do this thing his way. Our testimonies—if you're a Christian, you Christians kind of have our own language, uh, and we talk about testimonies. You know how you came to know Jesus. Um, our testimonies—they're really stories; they're remembrances of how we've struggled with God and have overcome but how we have overcome our sin, how we have overcome our pride. Faith stories, they're not like trophies that you just put up on a shelf. Look, look at how strong I was. Look at how high I jumped and how fast I was and how intelligent I was and how manipulative and coercive or how kind and admirable I was. Your your testimony, if you're a Christian, it's not like a trophy. It's a portrait of your weakness. Face stories are portraits of our weaknesses, showing people this is when God was strong. And like Jacob, we finally mature when we can square up to him to face God and admit to him we've been against him all along and we actually need him desperately. And just like with Jacob, God proves to bless us as he wins. The Apostle Paul illustrated this very point. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, uh, he, now here is an apostle. He has seen the Lord Jesus. He has planted churches all over the Roman Empire. He's regarded as one of the pillars of the early church by everyone. But this is what he says to keep, and he, by the way, he wrote parts of the Bible. <laughs> okay, so that's who we're dealing with. And he said in his letter to the Corinthians, to keep me from becoming conceited, Because of these surpassingly great revelations. There was given me a thorn in my flesh. A messenger of Satan. To torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. To take it away from me. Most scholars believe the thorn in the flesh. Was some type of a physical ailment. Not necessarily a a, a sinful addiction or habit of his. But he says three times I pleaded with the Lord. To take it away from me. But he said to me. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. In insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see the irony there? When I am weak, then I am strong. We have all heard it said, and sometimes this is very appropriate, that we should play to our strengths. But until our weaknesses are exposed, until our weaknesses are laid bare, and we're driven by our weaknesses to desperation so that we are willing to trust God in faith, Until that happens, his power and his wisdom remain hidden to us. Jacob thought that he had to face his brother. And he did. He had had to face Esau. You have to get things right with people. If God is going to use you effectively. So he did have to face Esau. But really, really, Jacob had to face God. That was the key to facing Esau. He had to face God. So face up to God. Face up to him. Square up with God over that big issue in your life and let him humble you. And you'll be blessed. The problem's not between you and people. The problem's not between you and money or you and loneliness or you and poor health. The problem is between you and God. In Psalm 36 describes wicked people this way. And don't get too insulted. Um, you're far worse off than you think you are. We all are. Uh, but when, when the psalmist talks about wicked people, he means people who don't follow Jacob's God, the God of the Bible. And this is, what, this is what the psalmist said, describing wicked people. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. So just something to think about this week. Have you been ignoring the fact that your problems are between you and God? That's where you must begin. Jesus himself. This is interesting. Jesus himself had to wrestle with God. The son of God. Jesus of Nazareth as a human being had to wrestle with God. With his heavenly father. It was in the garden of guests, guests, guests. It's always hard for me to say. It was in the garden. The night before he was executed. As he is preparing. As he is afraid of the physical. Humiliating execution. That we, he would have to endure. As he was I think more afraid. Of the separation. He would experience. From the presence and the joy. And the light. Of his heavenly father. He wrestled with his father in prayer until he literally sweat blood. And he said to his father, let this cup pass from me. There must be another way. This is the eternal son of God who from before time knew what he was going to do to rescue humanity. And yet the man Jesus in the moment, the night before, had to wrestle And say, Father, there must be another way. Let this cup pass from me. Unlike Jacob, Jesus had earned the status that he had. He didn't grasp for anything. He was perfect before God and before humanity. And he had earned all of that. But unlike Jacob and unlike you and me, Jesus let his heavenly father win. And in that prayer, he said, nonetheless, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And by humbling himself, Jesus won it all for you. It's by humbling himself when he faced up to his heavenly father that Jesus prepared the way for your forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And Jesus made this very point when he taught in Matthew chapter 10, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Translation, if in your struggles you are trying to outwit God, you are trying to overpower God or ignore him, you will lose everything. Maybe not in the next decade, but in the end, you'll lose everything. But if in your struggles, you are allowing God to overpower you, you're allowing God in his loving way to pick a fight with you and bless you because you finally give up and say, uncle, I've had enough. Okay, okay, please, please bless me. If by faith you live that way, you will be blessed. Because God blesses those he humbles. So how do you know that you have endured with God and overcome? How do you know? Let's look to Jacob. You know because you have a limp. You live with a limp. And that is the manifestation of the blessing of God who overcame your way. When you suffer. The Christian must see his faith. Or her faith. As a story. More than a moment of. A simple moment of decision. You have to see your faith. And your testimony as a story. Uh, as a journey. Of leaning on Christ. In your weakness. These. These testimonies of ours, these faith stories, they're, they're markers of victory. And the victory is when God brought us his grace and his favor, even though we weren't worthy of it and pursued us, even when we kept trying to do life our own way. So face up to God and face up to God over the big issues in your life and the people you think are very big and intimidating in your life and let God humble you and he will bless you in that struggle let's pray Father we confess like Jacob that even after we have followed you and technically openly worshipped you for years we still do things our own way We still respond to opportunity and to stress by neglecting the light of your truth. Father, I ask for faith for each of my friends, for me, give us the faith to face up to you in our struggles, in our stress, in our weakness, so that your power may be made visibly clear, abundantly clear in that struggle. Father, give us the faith to cling to you until you bless us. And we praise you for our Savior, Jesus, who did just that. It's in his name that we worship you and come to his table. Amen.